Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with ECS DNA Kit by Endo Canna Health. I did this years ago and it continues to empower me to get nerdy with my cannabis choices, which you know I like. If you've watched our Cannabis Legalization News podcast, did you know that right now you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com? That's E-N-D-O-D-N-A.com and use promo code POD25. That is P-O-D, the number two, the number five. Your purchase includes the EndoDNA Collection Kit. Endo Decoded Report, Personalized Cannabinoid and Terpene Suggestion, Endo Aligned Product Matching in Your State, Suggested Dosage Guidelines, and Optimum Methods of Administration. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a BOGO offer on their Afeca Soft Gels lineup. Since so many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afeca Unwind created to support healthy sleep cycles using a patented proprietary formula of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are made of this. So buy one, get one, my friend. You can shop online at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at checkout to save 25% on your DNA test kit. What's up, everyone? It is 2 p.m. on a Wednesday afternoon, which means you're tuning in to Cannabis Legalization News. I'm producer Lauren, and today we're joined by Fadi Yashrudi out of uh, the West Coast from uh, Root Sciences. He's going to tell us about his extraction process. But first, we do have to get into a little bit of Cannabis Legalization News. Mickey's not joining us today, so I'm going to be helping out with the news. Hey, Tom, what's going on? Hey, Lauren. I guess the biggest thing going on was uh, we got a lot more subscribers last week with that DEA uh based opinion that came out. So last week, uh, the big news, I guess, really was the, um, it's called an IFR. Uh, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and uh, uh, produce, Lauren. And so uh, the IFR is an interim final rule. And that interim final rule is uh, effective immediately because it was what they call interpretive. And so they didn't call out DATHC per se, but then there's a split uh, amongst the legal counsels and opinions out there regarding uh, does D8 count as hemp or is it a synthetic uh, scheduled substance? And I'm of the opinion that it counts as hemp. That's that's the plain meaning of the reading. And I'll have some more content on that uh, at least, you know, in, in the foreseeable future. So that was like the biggest story. And uh, you can go to the, the website, uh, hemp rule, well, cannabisindustrylawyer.com and then backslash hemp rule. Uh, to read more about that. But uh, what what big news story did you see besides the hemp? Well, Pennsylvania's governor said that uh, he's all for legalizing marijuana after the pandemic. We did have, um, what's his name, Dalen Leach, Senator Dalen Leach on to talk about SB 350. So I'm not where, sure where that falls. But today yep. or within the next last 24 hours, uh, Governor Tom Wolf said he's down. So let's get this yeah. ball rolling. That's fantastic. Yeah. One of the people that I spoke with uh, because of the hemp thing, uh, the National Hemp Association is in Pennsylvania. So we also briefly touched on that today. And they are reported that it has to do with their legislature. So like here in Illinois, their legislature was really gung ho for cannabis legalization. But over in Pennsylvania, it's a lot closer. You remember how like Senator Leach was mentioning that he had a thin bill that didn't have very much because he was worried about political compromise and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, turns out, though, he was actually primaried, you know, so he's not going to be returning. Mm. 
So yeah, uh, it's going to really depend on this election. And so in celebration of uh, all the election crap, I, I put an American flag for my logo behind me. Nice. <laughs> yeah, good times. Uh, not as good of a time as, um, let's see. Speaking of the Republican National Convention, then. Uh, the Dems want to give Americans a right to marijuana, a Republican convention speaker says. That's awesome. Now, I, I realize, I, are they using this as a pejorative? Like, are the Republicans saying, oh, my gosh, the Democrats want a right to marijuana? Yeah, well, it's interesting the way she phrased it. We do have the clip. I'm not sure if we're allowed to share it. All right. Well, let's say who oh, there's the clip. Let's say we yeah. can't share it for risking copyright. But who said what? Is that Natalie Harp? She said basically the Dems want to. Um, I'm going to pretend that I'm Natalie Harp. So I'm channeling my inner, um, uh, you know, conservative. Well, I'll tell you to them, it's a right to marijuana, opiates and the right to die with dignity, she said. Yeah, so, that was interesting. <laughs> yeah. Now, who is Natalie Harp? Good question. Oh, I don't know. Okay, well, uh, I like how they have nobody speaking at the Republican National Convention. We should have tried to get on that. <laughs> yeah, they had a bunch of nobodies. Yeah. It, was, it was interesting to watch. I just watched the clips because, you know, can't spend hours watching that. But yeah, that news in Chicago. What happened in Chicago? I mean, like the, the for the jo viewers joining us that always have tuned in for like, okay, when are they going to announce licenses? When are they going to announce licenses? So what happened in Chicago, Lauren? Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, fired the cannabis coordinator, Paul Stewart. He was like a fan favorite in the cannabis community here in Chicago. So I'm not sure exactly what happened. And um, sounds like he said, you know, it's up to her. It's her decision. But I'm not like nobody knows really exactly what's going on. And I'm not sure. Um, yeah. Why this happened. Do you have any insight to why? I haven't heard it. I was talking with Chicago Normal on Friday and then. Uh, I was told the toy wasn't out. That was just a, a weird reporting that came out. She's still there. And then uh, Daniel Perry came in to help with more regulatory aspects. And then I had no idea about this uh, cannabis coordinator because this is a, a municipal office position. So I don't know, man. It's beyond me. But you know what is uh, silly? In silly cannabis news, uh, an elephant at the Warsaw Zoo is going to test cannabis extract oil. The yeah. CBD craze has reached the Polish zoos. Yeah, the it looks like the animal, uh, the elephant has gone through mourning. Its partner passed away or friend or somebody in their group passed away. And uh, they're going to try CBD to help with uh, the mourning process. The so we'll elephant anxiety of grief is going to be treated with CBD oil at a Polish zoo. Yeah, elephants can like die of a broken heart. So I did not know that about elephants. Mm hmm. So, well, you know, there there was something in this uh, DEA IFR that came out that we should probably talk about for a little bit before we bring on the guests, because it's all about extraction. So how much do you know about the, uh, uh, the the hemp industry, about how it works? Not too much. OK. I'm when it comes to hemp. So like, go ahead and you farm all the hemp and then you harvest it. Right. And so what do you do then after you harvest it? If you're growing it for its uh, its its cannabinoid profiles. Uh, you typically extract it. You don't necessarily uh, put it into a premium smokable flour, but you can, right? Like even with cannabis, like not all of it goes into uh, the what you see on the shelves, the bag of peel weed. A lot of it goes into extraction. So uh, with cannabis, it's kind of two things under federal law. It's marijuana, if it's 0.3% or more, Delta 9 THC. And then it's 
industrial hemp or just hemp, if it's 0.3% or less delta 9 THC. And then how do you test it? According to the USDA, you only test the flowering tops, which is not fair because they could totally hit this number no problem if what they tested was the whole plant. Like they took the plant after it was harvested, they, they chopped it up into a blender, and then they tested a random sampling of the plant. Then that number is really easy to get. But uh, the USDA said that that's not what you're supposed to do. And uh, then the DEA said that that's also true, that uh, it's hemp until that Delta 9.3% level gets blown and you go over it. And then boom, it goes from being an uncontrolled substance to suddenly a Schedule 1 substance, which is punishable by millions of dollars in fine and life in prison. Because if you're extracting like buckets of hemp, because you've, you've harvested thousand acres of CBD hemp, CBD rich hemp, and it's maybe like 10%. And uh, that extraction is going to be gallons of crude. And this crude or goo that it's sometimes called is coming in at about three to 4% D9 THC. But that's not how it's shipped. That's not how it's, it's re sold at retail. You know, you have to spin out that, uh, that, uh, that THC and or dilute it back down. Uh, and that's stuff that our guest is going to be able to explain to all of us because the distillation process in, in cannabis is pretty fascinating. And I don't think it's really well understood. Yeah, definitely. I'm like I said, I'm a novice when it comes to that. So should we like bring them on and uh, hear about root sciences? Yeah. Hey, Fadi, what's up? Hi, how you doing? Pretty good. good. Thanks for joining us today. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing at Root Sciences? Uh, yeah, I'm the co-founder, one of the co-founders of Root Sciences. Uh, Root Sciences is a company that uh, really provides best-in-class uh, extraction and distillation equipment as well as post-processing. Uh, we started around 2016 um, doing uh, primarily distillation, and then we got into extraction, and then we ventured off into post-processing like crystallization or uh, THC remediation or uh, who is other, that ordering THC remediation? Who who would be ordering such things? Uh, hemp, right? Because they want to get the THC out. So uh, they use uh, uh, different remediation techniques to strip away the THC. So as you were discussing earlier, you, you're able to get it below that 0.3% and be able to you know, ship that across state lines and, and be in the hemp market versus the, you know, marijuana market. That's right. And that's something that we discussed uh, earlier is, um, you know, how, how do we, why don't we have that licensed? I mean, the, the definition of hemp under the farm bill is quite new and it's quite broad. So I think we're going to see some changes to the definition because it's just not fair to have all this farming going on and all this CBD being produced, but the way to do it, you have to, you have to, and then there's all this banking that's out there. There's all this lending that's supposed to be coming for the industry. And it's just a very weird thing that that DEA IFR said that said, hey, but by the way, when this happens, it's marijuana. And then it's like, well, when does it not happen? I guess if you trim the flower and just show, sold that. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, so how do you extract? Can you tell us, you know, like, uh, let's first a what type of extraction are you going to perform? And then B, you know, how does it go? Yeah. So there's different types of extraction processes. Um, most of the time, if you're using some sort of solvent, there's solvent extraction and then there's solventless. 
uh, solid list is more like your rosin presses where you're kind of squeezing out the uh, the cannabinoids out of the the biomass the plant um, so that's one way to do it uh, there's some other ways that you can do that but um, then you have the solvent type extraction where you're using different types of solvents to actually dissolve or disperse the cannabinoids and the the terpene uh, the flavoring the flavonoids um, into an extract so uh, with solvents you can use things like ethanol uh, you can use cold ethanol you can use uh, things like co2 which is more like a gas but when you compress it it turns what's, into a liquid you said ethanol and cold ethanol mm -hmm. what's the difference uh, between that so with with any solvent when you start applying uh, heat you actually increase the efficacy of the solvent and so we do we prefer to use a cold solvent because when you're using a cold solvent you're actually not pulling out um proteins or sugars or as much uh fats uh into your into would your you decarboxylating the uh the the substrate you excuse me you can decarb the flour if you want but uh for distillation purposes um you're going to actually be doing decarboxylation um after you after you do your extraction and and your winterization and filtering and all that kind of stuff then you'd go into decarboxylation and go into distillation okay so in theory when you throw it in the extraction then the only reason why it's gone over the line isn't because they're converting any thc into delta 9 thc it's because the thca is still there and then and so is the delta 9 just in higher concentrations yeah, so THCA is, is primarily what you're going to get out of the extraction. You will get some uh, conversion just into THC just because of uh, natural uh, extraction processes. You're applying heat, um, so that's breaking the acid chain off of the THCA. So now you just have straight THC. Right. Fascinating. Okay, so how big are these extractors that we're throwing? Uh, are, now, what goes into the extractor? Uh, so you're going to put biomass into the extractor. Sometimes that biomass could be trim, uh, which is the cuttings when you're, when you're trimming the, the plant or the buds or the flower. And then, uh, and then as well as uh, actual flower um, can be used for extraction as well. So it really depends on um, what the operator is, is trying to accomplish. Okay, cool. And then uh, how big are these vats that you throw it into? Uh, it varies. So um, we started out with like a five liter CO2 extractor that would hold two and a half pounds of, of material per run. But uh, today you can go up. I mean, the sky's the limit with Root Sciences. The type of extraction equipment we offer is is uh, scalable. We actually came out with equipment and designed equipment, worked with the manufacturers to come up with equipment that uh, can handle a, a very large amount of biomass and then be able to scale it down um, to something a lot smaller. But our largest system, I mean, you can do 4,000 pounds in an eight-hour period. Would that be uh, more along the line of your hemp model, Ben? Yeah, that's more for hemp. Um, it's quite large for, uh, for using for marijuana. So those are mostly for the hemp guys when you go that large. Wow. And so that how much will that produce? How much uh, what, what will come out of that first? Let's talk about that. You, you use the largest, uh, you know, extractor that you can and you fill it up. How much is coming out and what is it? 
so you're going to get, it really depends on the extraction method, but let's say we were to take uh, some sort of ethanol extraction, you could expect anywhere from 8 to 12% on a return. And what comes out of that is going to be a crude. It's a very, uh, it's an intermediary product normally. Uh, it's very dark in color, very gooey, um, but it allows you to uh, send that off to your next process to get your final product out. So that next process, now we have some crude and goo, and as it's very often called in the industry, um, going around and being transported. Uh, does that stuff cross state lines? Uh, not for marijuana, be just because uh, every state has their own regulations and it's still federally illegal. Mm -hmm. So you, you have to keep it within state lines. You have to be licensed. Um, there's some jurisdictions that do allow certain types of extraction with certain solvents. There's certain areas that don't allow, like, let's say, hydrocarbon extraction. Or you may have to have a special license to use butane or propane or, or some type of, type of hydrocarbon. Awesome. But usually the ethanol is called uh, non-volatile, right? Uh, ethanol is considered non-volatile as well as CO2 extraction. Well, then let's turn our attention then to the crude that comes out if you're going to try a volatile extraction, like a butane extraction. What's the difference between this uh, large-scale hemp extractor and trying to use uh, a volatile uh, solvent? You're going to get uh, a little bit of pushback probably from the regulatory body, like the fire marshal or something like that, when you have that much butane and propane in a single system. How much so butane are you talking? Uh, let's say... 40 pounds of butane for a smaller extractor. So when you start pounds. going into, into larger ones, you're, you, you start getting up there. Well, now I think we understand why that, uh, that thing blew up. And um, where was it? Where the, the brothers of the Heavenly's Order or whatever, whomever came up with butane honey oil back in the 70s were making it. Like in, um, I'm not sure exactly which country, but it was in the Middle East. And then it just, one of the, because where, where do they grow this stuff? Well, then we'll grow it there. We'll do some uh, butane extraction and blew up. And that kind of like uh, tipped off uh, the authorities. They thought, oh, there they are, uh, those guys, the brothers of the eternal grooviness or something, right? Yeah. So um, back in the day, there used to be open blasting is kind of what it was referred to. So it would be like a tube. You'd put the biomass in the tube and then you just start spraying butane in there. Um, some people would wow. do it in, indoors. They would do it in their apartments. They would do wow. it just outside. Somebody would be smoking a cigarette or um, <laughs> even a spark from the thermostat for your air conditioner, your heat uh, sparking could end up blowing up the apartment or, or something like that. Um, I did hear of a story where, uh, where somebody actually was trying to, when you're using butane, you have to purge the, the, the solvent out. And uh, you would use today, you'd use a vacuum oven to do that, which is a much safer way to do it. But somebody was using a heat gun and they're oh, applying it to the to the concentrate as it was purging butane out and cause an explosion that way. It's on a video somewhere, I think on YouTube or something. Well, uh, that's something else. But there that that method of extraction sounds like it's morally kind of been like replaced, it seems, with more of a. a, a a less risk solvent extraction. Yeah, so now even with uh, hydrocarbon, there's much safer ways to do it. They're all using, um, especially in the legal market, they're all using closed loop systems. 
um, which which keeps the solvent within the system. You don't have these leaks. It's not going out into the atmosphere. Uh, so you're you're minimizing those problems. Also, with the regulations, you have to have a you know C one D one type uh, room enclosure. What's which a is C one D one type room or enclosure? It's a it's explosion proof. Um, oh. You also have explosion proof lighting. Um, you have uh, there's no electrical outlets. Um, you know, there's uh, it, it's uh, even in in C one D one type environment, you can't bring your phones in there. Uh, anything that has any kind of electrical charge that could uh, that could cause a spark to uh, to cause an explosion with that that type of solvent. So if there's less risk of solvents out there, how come uh, butane or hydrocarbon extraction is done? Uh, definitely hydrocarbon extraction. You can uh, pull out some different profiles. Um, you, your terpene profiles are different. You tend to get more terpenes. Also with, uh, with certain types of craft concentrates, I would call them like uh, shatters or waxes or batters or you know those types of concentrates. Um, those are usually done with either butane or a blend of butane and propane or straight propane, like if you're trying to do a terp sauce or something like that. Interesting. Okay. You that, can't um, you can't really do that with the uh, with the ethanol. You can, but it's very tricky and it only works with some strains. And then also same with CO two extraction. So then, okay, we've covered ethanol, we've covered uh, butane and hydrocarbon extraction. Let's talk about CO2 extraction. What is that? Yeah, so CO2 extraction is either using a gas, a CO2 gas that's compressed into a liquid, and it runs through the column uh, that you have biomass in. Um, as a liquid, it acts as a solvent. So it kind of does the same thing that the hydrocarbon or ethanol would do. Um, so and then it gets uh, turned back into a gas and put back in the back in the uh, in the tank. So uh, with CO2 extraction, uh, you're using higher pressures um, with uh, hydrocarbon. You might be around 90 or 100 uh, PSI with CO2 extraction. You could be if you're doing subcritical, you could be at like 900,000 PSI all the way up to you know, 5,000. And now they have machines that are even 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 PSI, which is quite a lot of pressure. That sounds like it would explode as well. Uh, I've seen CO2 extractors that have exploded. Huh, wow. Uh, well, you said something about subcriticals. What's, what's the critical in uh, the CO2 extraction? Uh, the critical is, is they're subcritical, they're supercritical. Um, subcritical, you're running at lower pressures. You might be running at, uh, at different temperatures um, to where you're not actually um, pulling as much out of the biomass as you may when you're doing supercritical. Supercritical, you're actually pulling a lot more out. You're pulling all the cannabinoids. A lot of people, when they're doing subcritical uh, CO2 extraction, they're targeting terpenes. Um, so they may start it off as subcritical and then during the run, increase it to supercritical to be able to start pulling cannabinoids out. So it's a way to do uh, terpene isolation and then, and then go into the, the extraction of the cannabinoids. And then what do you do with the terpenes? Just hang out? Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people uh, will put the terpenes back into vape carts. So when you're doing a distillation process, which we can get into, but when you do a, a distillation process, you actually have to strip out the terpenes first. 
um, oh. and then you and then you do another pass to target the cannabinoids. So what people end up doing is they'll take the the terpenes from their CO2 extraction, let's say, put those off to the side, do their distillation, get their distillate, and then reintroduce the terpenes. So a lot of people are looking at doing terpene isolation or trying to get individual terpenes. Um, and then you have the other spectrum where people are buying terpenes and then putting them into their into their uh, their vape pens or their cartridges. Okay, uh, so now let's see here. We're getting into the distillation aspect. I guess we've kind of covered all the bases for how you get to that uh, substrate. And then I'm not sure if there's any difference between the substrate of uh, of these particular solvents. And so, do, do they all make winter? Uh, do they all make crude, or do only some of them make crude? Uh, you can do crude with all of them. There are some differences when you're doing uh, an extraction with, uh, let's say, CO2 or hydrocarbons. You are going to pull out some waxes. Mm. So there's some steps that you have to take where you winterize the uh, the crude, which is uh, suspending the crude in ethanol, uh, normally uh, freezing it and then running it through some sort of filtration, whether it's Buchner funnels or whether it's uh, lentricular filters or something like that. Um, it's more like you're basically removing the waxes and the, the, uh, the lipids. Um, and then from there, you can go into a, a decarboxylation process to, um, to convert the THCA to THC, the CBDA to CBD. What about, then, uh, uh, can you do the, the, the CBD to CBD, uh, to CBDA to CBD to Delta A THC? Uh, yes. You know, you're talking about doing a CBD conversion from CBD to, to Delta eight or Delta you, nine. Can you take CBG and then go from CBG to, you know, uh, THC? Uh, you can do CBG is kind of the mother cannabinoid. So That's right. you can, you can do CBG to pretty much whatever cannabinoid you want. It's just, you have to understand the process. Um, so there is, uh, you know, that's a hot topic right now where a lot of people are trying to do CBD conversion to a Delta eight or a Delta nine, depending on the process that you're using, you can get more or, Delta or nine rich or, or, the Delta eight rich. Have, or the license that you have. So yeah, like that's right. you, you, if you're just a hemp processor and you don't have the license for the Delta nine, don't touch the Delta nine, you know, right. uh, there's, there's enough of it already with the goo and then you're trying to strip it out. And so that was really the big, what? Uh, with the uh, thing that came out from the DFA on Friday, I'm sorry, the IFR from the DEA uh, last Friday was that they said, hey, uh, that level of 0 0.3, as soon as you go over that, it's marijuana. So it's just kind of like, okay, everybody cover your ears and, and close your eyes. We're all state licensed. Uh, do you really think the DEA is going to come in the next two months before the election? No. No way. Uh, and so, you know, good people, nice. They're just trying to say what the law is there. And so one of the things that we think is going to be one of the most effective ways to ensure that the states can continue to have their robust hemp programs is to add to the defunding. Uh, so like there's the Robacher Farr Amendment, which has now evolved into uh, the Robacher Blue and uh, Robacher's gone, the Blumenhauer uh, Lee. There's two others that their names are escaping me. Uh, somebody else amendment. Uh, and so that one has defunded medical marijuana from the DEA enforcement. And so now they're trying to drop off the word medical marijuana and I hope they will. And it's already passed the, the Congress. And so like they, they've defunded from the Congress, not the Senate from the DEA from enforcing any state marijuana law. And now I'm like, all right, you know what we need to do? Uh, 
put any state marijuana or hemp law. And so like just defund the DEA from also enforcing the hemp laws and leave that to the states. Yeah, absolutely. So that's that's uh, our next project. And so everybody needs to go to regulations.gov and then we'll we'll adapt our, our statement for that uh, as well. But um, it, that's really the, the problem that came out it was just like, OK, well, are we supposed to not do I mean, how many how many hemp extractors have you guys sold recently? Uh, what percentage uh, total of your business? We sold, total we sold about uh, 400 units between distillation plants and extractors. Um, I would say that the hemp is definitely um, increasing. You know, a lot of these people that are growing uh, growing hemp were uh, they were normal big ag farmers for for lettuce or you know what have you. And, you know, they saw this kind of hemp rush or whatever. And so they started doing, uh, they started converting their crops over to hemp. Um, the extraction part of it is still like fairly new for hemp. Um, so we do see an increase in that. Um, and so it's nice to, to have these large extractors that you can scale up to that um, they, they can use for extraction. So we are seeing an increase in that, but I would say it's probably around 25% today would be for hemp and then the 75 percent is still for marijuana well you know that's that's great so uh, the crimes that you're committing are more lawful now which is good you know the crimes that we're committing is well it's just such a silly regulation when you see it at the federal level and you're like all right we're gonna have to do something about that that there's an election in november so we'll deal with it later uh, yeah the and, election is yeah. going to be interesting right um the election is going to be interesting and I'm of the opinion that the Democrats are better for marijuana than the Republicans. And especially after what was her name again? Like this person, um, Lauren, can you find out, like do a quick Google maybe on who is Natalie Harp anyway? And so we can we can then get to the bottom of whomever spoke at this Republican National Convention that said to them, it's a right to marijuana, opioids and the right to die with dignity. Um, I think she was a cancer uh, cancer survivor. She was a cancer survivor or something like that. Okay. Good. Um, I'm not but, sure uh, where they found her. <laughs> but if she's a cancer survivor, then she wasn't using medical cannabis to help. That's no I, idea. I haven't heard of it. I just think that it's uh, interesting that um, it's almost like they're using it as a, a reason why you would vote for Donald Trump. Like the Democrats are going to legalize marijuana if you don't elect this guy. It's like, oh God, no. Oh yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> that would be terrible for. Um, Hmm. Yeah. But that's that's really interesting. And then what about the um, what do you think that the, the, the how, do, how do I get like my edible stuff then? So like the edibles, how do, what's the extraction process uh, that creates the raw materials that goes into edibles? Yeah, so it's basically the same process. So you can do any one of those extractions to get your crude. Um, there's some people that will take their some operators that will take the crude and put that directly into edibles. Um, those ones normally you would get the um, the flavor of of uh, marijuana. Yeah. Um, there's other operators that will take it a step further and go into uh, distillation so that they're removing the terpenes out of it. So then you have just a distillate, which is a much more concentrated dosing. Um, so then that you can incorporate into your edibles and then that way, you know, when you're taking, you know, taking a bite out of a, 
uh, infused cookie or something. It tastes like a cookie and not, you know, eating marijuana. Well, there's that. But I think some people enjoy the flavor of cannabis with its turpentine. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, I think it, you don't want to be knocked over uh, with the flavor of it, you know, and so you can't get away from it. But it, it could be a nice flavor enhancer. I could see that. Uh, let's, I'm a little unclear still, still on this whole distillation thing. Can you explain like, all right, so I got my crude, what's my rig to distill it? Yeah. So there's different, uh, distillation apparatuses. There's uh, short path heads that you can use, which are more like benchtop units that produce a very small amount of distillate per batch. Uh, and then you can go up into something like what we provide is a white film distillation plant. Um, so what we're basically doing is we're introducing the crude into a glass column that has wipers on the inside and these wipers basically create a thin film on the wall. And essentially what we're doing is we're adding heat and vacuum to evaporate the, um, the cannabinoids or the terpenes and then, um, and then let those, uh, condense on a condensing coil. And then what comes off of that coil is your distillate and then what remains on the wall will come down and go into the residue side which is your trash so what you'll get on the residue side is a very black tarry um uh kind of your uh unwanted stuff and uh and then on the distillate side you would have this nice golden yellow um distillate that's very stable when it when it cools down um and that's what people are are uh, looking for when they're doing distillation. Okay. What about the side stuff with the garbage? Do you guys have to like worry about complying with disposal of that crap? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, in the residue, <clears throat> you're actually going to have a thin layer. Um, you'll have a, a small amount of THC in there. Right. Um, when we're doing distillation, we have to <clears throat> strip off all the terpenes Okay. and then we'll do a second pass and we'll target the cannabinoids and, when we do that, we actually have to dig into the cannabinoids a little bit so that we don't get any terpenes or we don't get any any residue, the unwanted stuff, so we can get as pure of a of a distillate with the highest uh, concentration of cannabinoids as possible. So you will have a, a small amount of, of cannabinoids in your terpenes as well as your as your residue. Well, that's fascinating. The small amount of cannabis terpenes in your distillate as much as your residue, and I like. Because when I think about distillation, I usually only think about alcohol, and I think that's probably the, the like the primary conception for most people, simply because the extraction and the distillation aspects, besides you know honey oil going back you know forty or fifty years into the seventies, that's relatively new. But like everybody can kind of you know, conceive of, oh, it's a still, uh, and so like you take some some mash, I think it's mash by that time, or it's beer, whatever. It's like a low grade alcohol, and then you distill it, and it becomes very very concentrated. But like with stills, you sometimes have to double distill it or distill it further. Uh, is this winterized crude? Is it distilled like once? Do they double distill it? Uh, how does, uh, can you explain more of that to me? Normally when you do a distillation process for, for cannabis, you're actually doing uh, one distillation to get the terpenes out. And then you go and do a second distillation at higher temperatures and a deeper vacuum to get the cannabinoids out so that's kind of uh, so it's not really a double distillation it's just that we're doing it twice to uh to target different uh properties right so we need to target the, the terpenes first and then we target the cannabinoids 
Um, if if your distillation process doesn't work well, then you could distill it again. Um, but that's more of a, you know, I kind of messed up and I need to redistill it. Where do you even get trained in like all this type of stuff? I mean, I mean, you're talking about distilling, double distilling, distilling for specific chemicals. And I'm like, man, this sounds like really confusing. And I'm just supposed to get a guy off the street to, to help me run my extractor that I've just gotten. And I'm trying to get like, I'm trying to make gummies here. And I, 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 I go ahead. Yeah, it runs the gamut. Uh, sometimes when we go and, and do an installation, uh, we do training. So we provide a turnkey solution. We come in there. We actually make sure that their oils, their crude is is properly prepared to be able to distill it, meaning they did the decarboxylation and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then we train them on how to run it. We give them all the parameters um, and, and we do, it's a very hands-on type training. So you don't necessarily need to be a biochemist or something like that to be able to run the machine. We've kind of taken all that, um, we did all that legwork and we give you, we, we give the client the SOPs to be able to run it so that, you know, operators that let's say they're able to do extraction, they should be able to do distillation as well. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And then, um, one of the questions that I think some people might actually have is uh, going to be uh, applicable to the type of common license type that may be out there. And so for a small uh, grower that might not only have like, you know, uh, 5,000 square feet flowering or a thousand plants or less, uh, what type of distillation rig would you recommend that that, uh, that operator go with who's just getting into the game? Uh, and then also, um, how much do you think that's going to run? Uh, for something that small, I would definitely look at more like a short path head. Uh, it's more of a benchtop unit. Um, those ones, you know, for seven to 10 grand, you can probably pick one of those up. Um, if you start getting into wipe film, you know, the smallest one that we have is about 1.5 liters per hour. So uh, it's a fairly, even our smallest unit is, is a big unit. Um, so if it's only 5,000 square feet of grow, then you're definitely to feed a, a small wipe film unit. You're definitely going to need to be looking for, uh, some extra biomass from somewhere else. You'd have to be procuring that to be able to feed that type of machine and a, a large enough extractor as well. Oh, I see. And so like, um, well, cause that's something that a lot of the people that are going to be getting licensed here in Illinois are, are grappling with is, all right, we have 5,000 square feet to start with. How much of an extractor do we need and how much is that going to cost and also how do we run it and so like having uh companies that you can contract with that have that type of service uh, component so that you know here's the price here's how it runs here's the guys is going to be showing you how to run it that have you found that to be advantageous in this industry yeah absolutely so when we started out distributing the equipment you know it was more of a you know selling the machines and providing them sops for just the distillation part but we quickly found that these folks, you know, some of them didn't have that skill set or that expertise and they needed something soup to nuts. And so Root Sciences offers everything from seed to final product. So if you need services for uh, something like a small hydrocarbon extractor and you want to know how to run it, we can provide training for that. Um, we can go up to the very large uh, hemp farmers that need, uh, you know, pelletizers and dryers and, um, 
you know, uh, uh, large, you know, ethanol extraction machines and large distillation plants, and we can provide the, the service for that as well. Uh, do you re recommend one type of extractor over another for operators in the marijuana space? For example, like if I want to make sure that we can have shatter or butter or dabable substrate, like what should I get if I want to be able to sell not just my cookies and my gummies, but also dabs and stuff? Yeah, so if you're trying to get into concentrates like that, like craft concentrates, the shatters, the waxes, um, I would definitely stick to hydrocarbon, um, whether it's uh, butane, 100% butane or butane propane blend or straight propane. Um, I would definitely stick to that type of extraction. And then there's some other ancillary equipment that you would need, like vacuum ovens and things of that nature to be able to, to get it to a final product that, that you would be able to give to your consumers as a concentrate. What should we add on our line items for like, you know, how much to invest in the hydrocarbon extraction so that we can actually make um, uh, craft concentrates, but also edibles? A decent hydrocarbon extractor, if you were to do like, let's say a 40 liter, uh, you're probably looking at 120, 130, 150,000 bucks. Um, that would be, you'd be able to do about 20 pounds per run. Um, so, and then after that, you would have to purge it. So you need some vacuum ovens and things of that nature. But for, you know, two, $300,000, you would have a whole setup to be able to do a decent amount of craft concentrates that you could get out to the market. Well, we're really lucky in Illinois because we don't have a distinction between processing. And so like, uh, there's not that, that different type of license. So in Illinois, like, you know, it's just the operator's choice. Uh, and then not only that, we don't have a processor's license per se. We have a, uh, an, an infuser's license, but they can't create the raw material. Only the grower can create the raw material. And there's no like growers must have this extractor. There's not that rule. Uh, and so I guess I'd probably pick the hydrocarbon extraction over the, uh, the hypercritical or CO2 if I'm going for, for craft concentrates then. Yeah, definitely. And especially if you're not looking to, to do the, um, to scale up and do that much extraction, then, you know, uh, hydrocarbon may be the way to go. Well, you, the, the, the way that they do canopy space here is that they allow you to unlock, they've kind of gamified, gamified the canopy space, I guess. And we don't know what the game is yet, but you're allowed to unlock uh, new increments of 3000 square foot of flowering uh, canopy. So you start with 5,000 flowering canopy, and then you can go to eight, you can go to 11, you can go to 14, and then your license is maxed. And so if you're really just that, that's, so I guess then you would sit down with the, the client and say, okay, here's the calculations based on the output volume. You know, here's your trim ratio. Here's what, how many pounds per light what you think you're going to get. So this amount is going to hit the extractor probably. Uh, so can you help with those types of maths? Yeah, absolutely. So we'll take into consideration what the biomass is. Is it trim? What the bud density is? So uh, depending on, you know, it could be, um, you know, how big are the particles? You know, is it three millimeter size? How did you grind it? And then from there, we can say, you know, based on that, you're going to need this size extractor. And to accommodate that, you're going to need this many vacuum ovens or, um, or for distillation, you're going to need this size of a of a distillation plant. And so we can definitely size everything based on what their needs are. So usually they'll give us the requirements and then we'll provide them with some options on how to go about doing that. Not all of your flour is gonna be going to concentrates uh, right. normally. Some people, 
that might be their business model where everything's just going to go to extraction. Um, but a lot of the times people are going to say, you know, this is going to be reserved for flour um, as sellable flour or usable flour. And, you know, those are usually the tops or the nice buds. And then they'll take the, the bottom buds or the trim or, or what have you to put that through extraction. Awesome. And then one thing that we haven't really, we talked a lot about commercial extraction. And so I guess maybe uh, we should get, talk to the audience. Chief Keef or Chief and Keef, Keef and Chef. Is it possible for a guy with a family budget in quotes to do extraction in a way that's worth my time and product fatty? Uh, uh, so like I said, like people in, uh, back in the day were doing open blasting. It's not something that I would recommend. That's very, uh, it is, it is very dangerous. Um, so there are some, uh, if you're trying to do solvent extraction, um, you know, there are some smaller units, but again, these are closed loop systems. They are normally stainless steel. There is a cost associated with it. If you're trying to do solventless extract, you know, something like a rosin press or something like that may much, uh, may be a, a much more uh, suitable uh, type of equipment. So what's solventless uh, extraction? Uh, you're just not using a solvent to uh, disperse or dissolve uh, the cannabinoids or the terpenes. So um, anything like a, a, a rosin press or something like that, which is basically a hydraulic press with heated plates that basically squeezes the oil out. So you're using more of a mechanical type extraction versus uh, something that's using a solvent or something like that. Hmm. All right. Well, what's your opinion of water being a solvent? Uh, there's different. Um, yeah. So you can definitely do um water extraction um it's definitely something that uh is it is it's not a new technology but it's being more widely um researched and investigated and, and tried in the cannabis industry which is great um especially if you want to do like uh ice water extraction and bubble hash and you know that type of stuff um so there is that and then actually water in itself can be a type of solvent. So uh, if you want to do like a liquid liquid type separation, um, like um, uh, to clean up uh, extract, sometimes we'll use liquid liquid separation. And some of it has to do with water. There's some other solvents, co-solvents that are put in, but you can use water to do that as well. Cold water, I've heard sometimes it's like ice water hash is what I've heard. What is that? Do you, are you familiar with it? Yeah, so it's like a bubble hash is, is sometimes what it's referred to, but it's uh, you're using ice water um, to basically pull out the the cannabinoids. And so you get a it's more of a, um, a, a darker uh, type of oil, um, but it, uh, a hashish is sometimes, um, you know, kind of the same same type of deal. Uh, is the extraction and distillation industry evolving as fast as other aspects of the cannabis industry? Yeah, so uh, extraction and distillation, I think, is it definitely uh, it's gained a lot of momentum in the past five years. Uh, a lot of people are looking at that. You know, uh, vape pens are definitely on the forefront. Um, you know, that's a very discreet way to uh, to to get your 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 medicine or your recreational use. Um, and then uh, uh, so, yeah, for sure, it's it's definitely becoming more and more popular. 
uh, and especially the dabbles as well, right? Your concentrates. There's a lot more people that are going out and buying dab rigs. And, you know, a few years ago, somebody would say dab rig, and you're like, well, what, what's a dab rig? Yeah, so, that guy's doing meth over there. Why are the children <laughs> today doing meth? Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. But, okay, that, that's really cool that it's it's evolving that quickly. And you mentioned something that we really haven't even discussed yet, and here we are, like 46 minutes in, into a, a whole episode on extraction, and we just now are, are talking about vape carts. Uh, if I want to make vape carts, what am I buying? Am I buying a hydrocarbon extractor? Am I buying a supercritical CO2 extractor? Does it matter? Uh, normally today... Uh, you're going to see vape carts are, are usually made with, uh, they're usually filled with a distillate. So again, you can use whatever extraction you want. You can use an ethanol extraction, a CO2 extraction, hydrocarbon extraction. So uh, you can use whatever extraction method you want, and then you would go and continue to refine that and distill it down. Um, and then once you do that, then comes into that, that, that process of terpenes, right? So uh, smoking just straight distillate doesn't, kind of has like a burnt popcorn taste, I guess. It doesn't taste very good. So you're going to be introducing some sort of terpenes um, to actually uh, uh, flavor it. Uh, sometimes people are using cannabis-derived terpenes where they pulled it out of the cannabis plant. Like I said, you can do that with CO2 effectively. There's ways to do it like through steam distillation. Um, there's, there's various ways to, there's even a microwave distillation process that you can use, but there's different ways to extract the terpenes and then you can reintroduce those back into the, into the cartridges. So, uh, it's definitely, um, you're going to have a mixture normally of distillate and some sort of terpenes. And then, uh, some cartridges, you may find a cutting agent. Um, and we haven't really discussed cutting agents, but you may have a cutting agent or a carrier uh, agent to thin out the distillate because vape carts want a, a less viscous type of liquid in the cartridge. Um, so that's that. Sometimes you'll uh, you'll see uh, that uh, incorporated in there as well. Yeah, that vape scare that went around uh, before this coronavirus with. Uh vitamin E acetate and stuff. So what are these cuttings? When, when we have distillate that we're going to try to put into a vape cart and we're worried about the viscosity of the, 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 the distillate, what do we do? Uh, so we have, a, we have a sister company and we also uh, we have 30,000 square feet of growing at our facility in, in Washington. So we do vape cartridges, we do concentrates, we do flour and all that kind of stuff. So um, when we're doing our vape carts, normally what we'll do is uh, we'll either do distillate and we'll introduce some terpenes and use the terpenes as our cutting agent, as our as our carrier, it, or um, sometimes we'll we'll do uh, live resin vape carts, which live resin vape carts is really a combination of distillate and terpenes that we pull off from a live resin run. Um, so it's still going to be. The safest way in my mind is to use a carrier that is terpenes, but it's cannabis derived and it's not, you know, but you're buying a bunch of limonene and pining off of Amazon and, and you know, filling your, your vape carts with it. The vitamin, e, the vitamin E acetate was was a cutting agent that they used to uh, to increase the viscosity of the the their distillate. And so it made it look more pure and a higher quality, but in essence, they were doing exactly the opposite. 
Um, so, but this was more in the, the, it wasn't in the the legal market per se. It was more in the in the in the illegal market. Hmm. Fascinating. And so the illegal market with the uh, extracts, I, I actually think the illegal market modeled the uh, legitimate market because, like, I don't remember vape carts. I don't remember any extract outside of hash. But the only time I saw hash was when I was in Europe uh, or Asia. And uh, when I was in America, I don't ever recall seeing Hess. And so uh, are these types of techniques being employed in the black market to also sell carts? Uh, yes, definitely. So there are some, uh, some black market operators that are using extractors. They are using uh, white film distillation plants. Um, there's folks that have five or six distillation plants that are not in the legal market. And how do I know that? I have no idea. It's just, it's but just something that I've heard on the internet. Just heard about it. Yeah. <laughs> a friend of mine told me I'm asking for, for a friend. It, yeah. For us, it doesn't really matter for us. The, the equipment, it can be used for whatever, right? I mean, it could That's be right. for mint extract. It could be for this light can be grown anything this fertigation system this light up greenhouse how many of the, i also need a closed loop hvac system and uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, oh yeah i have no idea what's going on yeah oh. yeah so the distillation plants were uh, you know the company that we uh partnered up with uh, the manufacturer in germany uh, vta they do the, the we had uh we designed the the plant. We gave it to VTA. VTA kind of produced that for us. We made some small modifications to existing plants that they had, but um, they were using these plants for you know decades, and they were using it for pharmaceuticals, nutraceuticals, fish oil was a big one, uh, oh, nice. petrochemicals, adhesives. It's uh, like so there was a it's very like a lab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, some of these labs that you go into for, for cannabis, they're quite impressive. They're straight up labs. You have to put booties on, hair nets, beard nets, Tyvek suits. They're nerds. And they love it because like, you they know, love it's, it. it's, it's a fun plant to be entirely honest. But not only that, then you get to see like some fun organic chemistry. And um, yeah, the science behind it is can be very daunting sometimes. Have you guys ever uh, heard the term the fire hose thrown around in the cannabis industry? The no. Okay. And it's just kind of like, you know, the fire hose is a cannabis industry. When new people get into it, they're like, what? And then, huh? Yeah. Cause like it's, it's a, it's a very large industry. And then this, this whole episode, we've been discussing various, you know, intricacies of the extraction, which is just one subset of that, that whole uh, cannabis industry. So you can do in theory, the same thing with lights. Cause there's a lot of science and, and crap that go on with lights or, or this area or that area. There's just so much to know that these people that want to get into the industry and become like entrepreneurs in it, they, they kind of call it the fire hose of just, and then there's this, and then there's that. And then there's, it's this. ever, it's ever changing. Right. And I mean, the lighting changing. that we yeah. used to use uh, five, 10 years ago, you know, now they're doing LED lighting and, and, you know, they're seeing great results from it. So, or different color LEDs, some are red, some are blue, and you do it during different cycles and stuff right. like that. So it's, it's quite uh, interesting. And it's a really, um, right now, I think that um, we're going so fast. It's, it's not a mature market. It's not no. a mature industry, you know, so things are happening so fast that something that you were doing last year you might not be doing it anymore you know you moved on to something bigger and better so and there's always new things coming out so it's going to be interesting especially if we can get this 
uh, federally legalized. And then, you know, you get some bigger companies that are able to do a lot of these really vigorous testing. The testing is huge. The access to capital. And so I still think before we get it fully legalized, you know, you're going to see the Safe Banking Act pass. And then once they have access to capital and banking, and then that's when they can really start to lean on them because it's like, hey, um, why is this still a federal crime? Because my clients are doing well. And then there might actually be some motivation from the federal government to not uh, legalize it because they can tax the crap out of it right now with the IRC 280E. Yes, and they're still doing so. Even with state taxes, and it varies by state, but in uh, in Washington, I think now it's a thirty six percent excise tax. Oh wow! So I mean, it's a hefty tax, right? Yep. So um, you know, it's definitely uh, something to take into consideration. So, and then two eighty e is a, is a whole nother beast in itself. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's another tax grab. And so, like, if even if they have the Safe Banking Act, that's not how two eighty e is written. Two eighty e just says. Control schedule one or two controlled substance. And so like, all right, so we're still going to be collecting and now it'll just be easier for us to set off your accounts because we know where they are and there's cash in them. Yeah, definitely. But I think, you know, five minutes, not five minutes, five, 10 years, depends on who wins this election. Yeah, if you have this uh, uh, Biden-Harris thing come in, I think you're going to see something maybe sooner than that. But uh, I'm only being optimistic and hopeful. Well, you know, sometimes decriminalization will happen about four years before full legalization. So Safe Banking Act, decriminalization, they'll, they'll continue to take their profits from the, the IRC 280E. And then the, the industry eventually will be like every other industry and like, hey, fuck that. We're going to pay tax. Yeah. We're going to pay zero taxes just like Amazon, you know, and, and then they'll fully legalize it. Yeah, they're building a new they're building a new Amazon facility right down the street from our grow in Washington. Oh wow! <laughs> By the way, Tom, on Natalie Harp, uh, according to her LinkedIn, she is an entrepreneur and advisory board member for Donald J. Trump for president. So those are her credits. Wow, you know <laughs> those sound like bulletproof credentials. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if I saw that on a resume, I'd be like. These are made up titles. But, you know, if I saw that at, at the Fox News convention for the Republican National Committee, I'd be like, fucking right. America. Yep. Yeah. America. Thank you so much for joining us today. Where can we go to find and follow what you guys got going on at Root Sciences? Yeah. So you can see us on rootsciences.com. Uh, we also have uh, Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram. Uh, Instagram is part, you see some cool pictures on there it's, uh, with the machines actually running and stuff like that. So um, you, can, you should definitely check out Instagram. It's We try to keep it a little light as well. So um, you should check us out on Instagram and you can see us at uh, rootsciences.com. Awesome. We'll throw those links in the description. Thanks again for coming on and thanks for tuning in, everyone. Make sure you like and subscribe to keep up with all cannabis legalization news. We'll see you on Sunday. Thank you.